The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you always. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars, episode 157. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hello there, everyone. I'm Mike Creevy, a.k.a. Old Ben, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away, including the deeper themes and meanings. Please be sure to share this podcast on Twitter or Facebook and let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review. On this episode of Secrets of Star Wars, we're thrilled to take a closer look at Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 7, Chapter 23, there's a lot of titles here. Chapter 23, The Spies. And this is the, of course, second to last episode in this season, penultimate, as they say, which I realized, by the way, I used that word incorrectly for many years before I really realized. So now I'm making up for lost time. So there's a lot to discuss and we're going to get right into it. So joining me tonight to unpack all of this are first up, Josh Beagley. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. And uh, next up, we have Robert King. Robert, how's it going? Doing well. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And then last but not least, Father Jeff Horton. Welcome again. How are you doing? Doing well. Thank you. Well, I I wanted to ask you guys kind of first up here, um, since I'm not sure how many of you were on the most recent episode, I guess it would have been, was was closest to when there was stuff coming out from Star Wars Celebration. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but just wanted to see if you guys had any any thoughts or just any initial reactions, things you're excited about from that, you know, announcement panel, all the different panels they had, and especially projects coming up? I have a bad feeling about this. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Say more about that. <laughs> uh, especially the, the movies. I mean, Lucasfilm or Spice Disney hasn't finished a Star Wars movie in ages anyway. Yeah. But I have real reservations about wanting to go back and do an Origin of the Force movie. I think the Force works much better as an unexplained, it is what it is. Uh, I read a lot of the Legends continuity, and the Mm -hmm. further they got into trying to explain the Force, the weirder and less interesting it got. And I can't see anything stopping that from happening again. Do you you fear something kind of like the, um, you know, for for those who, and I I don't know if I want to take a particular side here, but, you know, for for those of us who at least scratched our heads a little bit over all all the midichlorian stuff that got (laughs) came out of nowhere with the prequels, do do you you see something like that kind of going where we we go more into? The midichlorians are the problem, the bizarre, too much Joseph Campbell spirituality, whatever the latest sci-fi or author wanted to throw in with it. Uh, okay. I, just, I think I think the force is better. Is it's out there? It exists. We don't know where it came from or what it does. Than trying to pin it down. Was it Sir Alec Guinness's original? I, I think it was like I, someone did the word count or something. It was it's yeah. like forty words or something that he says. Yeah, in the original movie, <laughs> it's like. So the force is right? You make objects fly, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what Ray said. It is. 
<laughs> what right. power you can make things float <laughs> done <No. laughs> i i thought the that movie was supposed to be about the origin of the jedi maybe did i misread it is it about the well, origin of the force well, instead the or you're right, you're right. It's yeah, it's Origin of the Jedi, but it's also, there's this, the more you explore what the Force is versus George Lucas was very smart to leave it as ambiguous as possible, the more you try to pin it down, the worse it gets. Yeah, yeah. I recall reading, he did that very deliberately. He didn't want to push it into anything. Pin it down too much. It's right, definitely, pin it down. definitely something that, yeah, they have to be careful about for sure, one way or the other. How about you, Josh? Do you have any, any thoughts um, about anything in particular looking forward to or thoughts? I mean, I was sort of on the same line as Robert there of it being about sort of like the foundations of the Jedi and how they came to be. I was excited for that. And on the different plots, I mean, I know we talked about it last episode, but Ahsoka coming out is really exciting. And they after literally like after we were finished recording, they announced um, who the actual actor was going to be for Thrawn. Oh, and, okay. Um, it, it's his voice actor, but I'm really excited yeah, for that, too. He was tricky, too, because he's, you know, I think you just, we can have a whole, it'd be fun to just do a whole show, maybe people wouldn't be interested in this, but a whole show on the morality <laughs> of Star Wars, potential Star Wars actors lying about whether they're in it or not, mm-hmm. <laughs> for for the sake of secrecy, because uh, Lars Mikkelsen, I saw an interview with him, like, months ago, because people were speculating, and he said something about, like, well, no, you know, I haven't gotten any calls, and I said, right before they announced him, I was like, he didn't say he didn't get emails. a letter in the mail like uh you know he just said calls so and then sort of with that as well it's something else that came up that i saw today actually was that disney's hoping to lean more into star wars in general and like like avatar and marvel and things like that um which i don't know there's pros and cons to that one more content which will mm-hmm. be always fun, but also then it's a quality and quantity thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that sort of develops. Sure. How about you, Robert? I mean, I was honestly excited to see how the three movies they announced kind of fit together. They they seem like, you know, they talked about the sequel trilogy when they originally announced that, you know, when Disney first took over. Right. Um that was supposed to sort of wrap up the Skywalker saga. And now it looks like they're kind of doing that uh, in a weird way. Again, they're going to say, okay, well here's the beginning and the end of the, the Jedi saga. And then with this Ray movie, they're going to start something new. And so they're, Mm. they're kind of um, putting, putting the brackets around everything that's gone before and giving themselves Uh, an opening to start creating content in a new and different direction. And I, I definitely like the impulse behind that. I'm a little apprehensive about their ability to pull it off because, you know, we've seen Disney has been real hit and miss, especially with the, the uh, cinematic offerings. Um, But, but I always liked Ray as a character um, Ray and Finn were, were fantastic. Well, I guess I should say Ray and Finn were fantastic potential characters. And I always felt like, oh, there's so much there if they only had some good writing behind them. And, um, so I'm kind of 
you know, I, I doubt John Boyega could ever be convinced to come back to Star Wars, but but uh, I'm glad to see at least that Ray is going to have another opportunity to to actually develop as right. a character. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me long for the days when Lucas was writing scripts, but that might be going too far. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. even, he, even he needed a little help. <laughs> oh, my. Well, let's jump in here to this this uh, Mandalorian episode because there's a lot to unpack here. But let me just um, give the little quick uh, just from Wikipedia, the overall basic plot synopsis here. Um, again, spoilers ahead, but everybody should know that by now. Right. So um, we jump in here. Moff Gideon back on the scene informed by and we were debating this earlier and I can't remember because I've heard it both ways. But I think I'm going to go with with Elia, Elia, Elia Kane. I'm going to say that we'll see with. I'll fix it later if I have to, but Elia Kane informs Moff Gideon secretly down in Coruscant in the the depths of the uh, the cities, or the, it's all the city, I guess, but she's in the lower levels, right? You know, hiding away, as villains do. Uh, she warns him about the Mandalorian's intent to retake their world. Gideon relays this information to the Shadow Council, a group of Imperial Remnant warlords. He requests reinforcements from Commandant Brendel Hux, Questions Captain Pelion on the absence of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Reassembling on Navarro, Bo-Katan unites the Mandalorian clans and repairs for a recon party to explore the surface of Mandalore and locate the Great Forge. Before leaving, Grief Karga presents Din Djarin with IG-12, a rebuilt version of IG-11. We're going to talk about that. Uh, which, is avail- which is able to be controlled by Grogu. On Mandalore, the group meets another surviving clan who is loyal to Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan admits that she surrendered to Gideon shortly after the Night of a Thousand Tears, hoping that her people would be spared from further harm. The party finds the Great Forge, but is ambushed by Beskar-enhanced stormtroopers. Jaren is captured by Gideon, who reveals his intent to complete the Great Purge of Mandalore. He attempts to kill the search party, but Bo-Katan uses her Darksaber to make an escape for the group, with Paz Vizsla staying behind to buy time. Vizsla fights off... It says... Well, okay, yeah, he fights off the stormtroopers, but they do have this. He fights the Praetorian guards unsuccessfully, and then we go right to credits. So, again, a lot packed in there, and I just want to jump right into that Shadow Council scene at the beginning and just... I'm going to throw this out there and see what you guys think. We can kind of go around a little bit here. But my note, I, I said, and then the guys saw this ahead of time, but I think it's fair to say rabbit holes abound <laughs> If you try to understand every detail of who everyone here is, what's going on, uh, what's what is going on and what's been going on since the fall of the Empire, which is more ambiguous now than we originally thought. And there's all this stuff from games and comics and books and all this stuff that that I just kind of quit after 20 minutes of it. But um, only because I didn't have time, not because I'm not interested. But you have, you know, Palpatine's contingency plan. Um, Operation Cinder that really kicked that off. There's all these things from various novels about what happened in the wake of the Battle of Endor um, and and how some remnants went out to the unknown regions, the seeds of the First Order. So in general, what do you guys think of this scene? Any, anything that you noticed at first or, you know, important things you picked up on here? Maybe start with you, Josh. Now that we're sort of talking about it with like it also being called like the Shadow Council and stuff, it reminds me of Crimson Dawn and that whole meeting with Maul and his people of sort of trying to like pick up the remnants of what's sort of left and to create something for themselves to be known. Hmm. I mean, 
Gideon has his own plans. Hux has his own. But also, I didn't realize at first that it was a different Hux. That is something that confused me. And then it's pretty good casting. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it it was his brother. Believable. (laughs) Daryl Weasley. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but it it definitely threw me off for a minute. Not I thought it was just like a younger version of Hux. So I was like, okay, cool. That's going to be him. He's going to control the First Order army. It'll be. And I'm like, no. So I had no idea who he really was and like what his plan was. Well, I read somewhere, I think it says Illid, I think the Hux I from... Check, yeah, I checked Wikipedia, yeah. and it's the one in Force Awakens is his illegitimate son. His illegitimate son, yeah. Because that's still 25 or so years out, I think, right? Roughly. Or, yeah. Something like that. And, it, and, and the little clues there, right? Like Gideon says about, like, you know, your obsession is with cloning, yet he just walked past a bunch of tanks that look more like Snoke pickle jars. Like, <laughs> we, keep, we keep coming back to that, so I don't know how that all connects yet, but... Oh, how about you, mm-hmm. Father? What would you pick up on there? I was thinking I have an awful lot of background material. I don't have any idea who any of these people are either, except for the names we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, it seems not to matter too much. Oh, and Thrawn, because everybody knows who Thrawn is. And it's the, the mention that he's connected with this somehow is definitely cool. So, yeah. I wonder if we'll get him for a cliffhanger for the end of the next episode. That is, she'll Thrawn at the end and then cut to credits. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll get there later too. I just I don't know about you guys. I really smell a big cliff. Like, I don't know how. Like you can't. I don't think you can really satisfactorily for our tastes <laughs> wrap this up in one episode. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think they play on it. No. Yeah. But other than like, who the heck are all these people? I don't get that much sighting from the council. Sure. Mm-hmm. What about you, Robert? Any any thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, just on the all the rabbit holes and, and who are all these people? I mean, I, I think they're trying to walk this line of making it accessible to people who don't follow the comics and the novels and all the lore and such. Um, and, and I think for the most part, they're doing a good job. I, and like, you know, people who don't follow all the other stuff, maybe they don't even know who Thrawn is. Um, and, and so it's, it's like, introducing these characters in a way that is uh that is present to this show and i think they did a pretty decent job of that um i thought it was interesting that uh you know in in talking with kane gideon seemed genuinely surprised that the mandalorians were presenting a threat but he was completely ready to present the Mandalorians as the excuse for getting all of the, all of the uh, backup that he wanted from the others. And um, yeah, it seems like there's definitely like Gideon is uh, setting himself up against Thrawn. Like he's like, he's, he's trying to undermine the, the leadership that Thrawn has. And, uh, probably set himself up as the new oh i don't know what's a good phrase to to say this maybe the heir to the empire um <laughs> i don't know if anyone's ever used that phrase before yeah i think i just <laughs> trademark right there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's i love how like how many, you know, how many people almost passed out when she had that line in the trailer <laughs> yeah like, yes finally so uh well and and it's there were a couple little interesting ways things were said in the scene because you know trying to think of 
the order of it. I just rewatched that scene again now, but it, it's so intricate. Mm-hmm. It's back and forth. But one of them says something about because Pelion keeps insisting that, you know, the secrecy of Thrawn's return, that's the key. You know, it's all about Thrawn's return. Um, and, you know, that's going to he said something like it'll it'll herald the ret- the resurgence of our military. Mm-hmm. which ostensibly is something that's being worked on out, out of sight from everybody has no idea that so there's a lot more out there. And then he says something about, you know, and that will give um, uh, Commandant Hux time to basically pull off Project Necromancer. And mm-hmm. then later when it, the only I think the only other time Necromancer is brought up is, is Hux uh, when Gideon's pushing back against the Thrawn thing and says maybe it's time for new leadership. And he says, basically, that's what Project Necromancer is for. So who, I'm, I'm wondering here, how many people know about Palpatine's Exegol thing versus those who might know about the Snoke aspect of it? Because I think it's fair to say that's kind of confusing because my my understanding is they didn't really have a plan for it. And it was done very sloppy <laughs> in terms of the sequel trilogy where they actually wanted to go with it. A lot of different people competing for it. And so now it falls to like Dave Filoni and John Favreau and others who I, I trust to try to make sense of that. But it's it is confusing. So I don't know what you guys think. Did you have a feel about this? Is this Snoke? Is this Palpatine? Is it both? What do you think? I think it's one of the things that's really clear is is Gideon has his cloning program that he doesn't want the others to know about that is distinct from Project Necromancer. Denying he's interested in it, but we just saw him walk past those things yeah, and all that stuff. That's your obsession. Right. To, you know, yeah. Palpatine is what leaped to mind when I heard Necromancer, mm. but I, I can be persuaded that it refers to Snoke. Well, wouldn't, wouldn't it imply, I wonder, because the idea, I... I not entirely sure, but it does seem to carry with the idea of bringing back from the dead, right? Am I exactly? Mm-hmm. Which Snoke's not dead. Snoke's part mm-hmm. of the process of trying to figure that out. So yeah, that might be not dead yet, right? <laughs> uh, and also, sort of with that, it's like Palpatine was someone who never let anyone fully know his entire plan, right? So like him u- using Snoke as Project Necromancer would make sense then because he would still be in the background controlling Snoke, but they wouldn't know that. They would only know that Snoke is going to be this new leader. Right. Back. I like, yeah, that's a good idea point too, because they all seem like everybody there, they say project necromancer and you have all these people like, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. But that does seem out of character with the deep secrecy of like the big Sith eternal plan and all that. So, because he, he was, you think of, for example, like in, in um, Bad Batch, like the way that he used Admiral Rampart, you know, and he's very useful. And then the moment he's not, just, eh, see ya. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, and let me see here. I, I couldn't resist maybe a little snide of me, but I always laugh because when we do the whole thing of like, what's your least favorite Star Wars line? I love Poe Dameron. I love Oscar Isaac. No offense to him. But the mm-hmm. whole somehow Palpatine returned, like the cheapest line in the history. <laughs> it's just like somehow it happened. Like, oh, come on. You know, so that's how I, I put in my notes. Yeah, it's somehow. Um, but it did make me think a little bit about and I want to ask you guys this from a faith perspective, because clearly we, we know, at least behind this, it ultimately is Palpatine. And just to get to his character and like. This whole thing made me think of envy, you know, and just the really wickedness of envy. And for those who aren't familiar with 
you know, like the little bit I looked up here from some of these things like project cont- or contingency plan, operation sender. My understanding is it's basically this idea that he had this contingency plan that if he was ever taken out, the empire was done. Like there would not be a successor to Palpatine. Like the empire, like there's not an, um, there isn't a single compassionate bone in his body. Like there's nothing in him at all that has any care for anything outside himself. You know, and so that just made me think really of, of of envy and the idea specifically that the aspect of envy of of like if I can't have it, no one's having it um, and how really dark that is. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that because you see it show up in, in Gideon, too. But, you know, what anything you guys have noticed maybe along that path, I didn't ask you ahead of time or anything, but I want to get your thoughts. The whole collapse of the Empire. I was meeting up on Nazi Germany again recently, and first of all, Palpatine never let anybody have too much power, playing everybody against each other. Um, that's Hitler's game plan to the T. Mm-hmm. And second of all, Hitler was never comfortable with any of his successors, and really, by the end, if he wanted everything to burn down with him, if he couldn't survive, he didn't want his empires to buy. And we all know that at least George Lucas worked a lot off the Third Reich, promoting the empire, and I think some of that continues. So they're they're all plotting because Palpatine never meant them to have an organized system after he was gone. He didn't right. care what happened after that. And and I think I think you're right that that's that's the the heart of what envy is about is um it's the if someone else has it that means I don't have it it it's it's like looking at everything in the universe as this zero sum game and it either belongs to me or it's it's hurting me and um and that's just directly contrary to the like the overflowing generosity of god that you know we we're just we're still celebrating easter here right you know where you know, God didn't have to, you know, God could have just forgiven our sins. He didn't have to uh, also promise us the resurrection and eternal life with him. I mean, it's it's like there's God is just like, here's good. And there's always more good and good generates more good. Good kind of is expansive. Um, but but envy can't see that. What about you, Josh? Any thoughts on that? I don't know. I mean, like, well, there's a related thing we'll come back to later, too, I think, in in Gideon's end thing. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I I feel like the envy makes sense, but I was more so thinking about a lot of his personal greed instead. I mean, yes, they sort of go hand in hand and it's just sort of like, I guess, wording. Um, Palpatine was very much full of himself in everything that he did. And like he he was like the center of pride of basically everything any sort of like any seven deadly sins you know he was he had them basically <laughs> like he he was just checking them off of his list um but i mean that one definitely shows up in this especially with necromancer and if you played um the vader immortal game you really sort of get to see that plan in action and you sort of hear about it earlier in what season 2 of the mandalorian not a lot of detail, but enough to pique your interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in, in the video game, they show sort of like different ships coming up to different planets and just raining fire down, sort of like how they did on Kamino. Yeah, well, that, that vengeful, just, yeah, and what they did to 
By the way, I got to say this, well, they did a Mandalore, but what I, what I was thinking though is, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, I probably have, but I, I'm really kind of stuck. <laughs> I just have to get over it. The Night of a Thousand Tears thing just doesn't, like the, the title of it, because I, I just feel like thousand is not, like a thousand, like a, that's a lot of tears, but that's, I mean, like millions of people died, like this is genocidal, like world destroying event i just feel like night of that's my personal opinion it's less like, than one tier per person right yeah like, like some people were like well you know there well, you, you go you can't cry like, if you're dead well okay that's fair enough <laughs> <laughs> right. josh i have you to thank for actually yes that's yeah that's because there's only about a thousand mandalorians you know like 500 left like geez no but yeah but um but let's just jump over here but speaking of them of course the mandalorians we now have after uh, you know a seemingly divisive episode, at least if you believe what they tell you online. I know we all have our own opinions about episode six from this season. I thought there was some things they didn't need to do. Um, <laughs> but they, of course, achieve at the end of that episode this uh, this this moment of uh, giving the Darksaber uh, back to you know, Bo-Katan in this way. Was it, Father, was that you that called that in the chat? Or who who was it that... It was. It was. I, I thought, yeah, because I, I it's had my been, friend's moment for the whole season. <laughs> and, and folks, you may not believe it, but it's true. It's true. We can all verify. He sent that prediction back weeks and weeks ago after that incident in episode two in the minds of Mandalore, you know, a little technicality, but they're good with it, you know. But uh, so, of course, Bo-Katan is the Darksaber. She's, a, she's emerging again as this leader. And we get this this brief, you know, situation um, of of the two tribes coming together and some of the challenges that brings with it. But the, the main highlight probably from that whole sequence was this gift, of course, from Grief Karga, the, the reintroduction of where things are at with IG-11. But now he's IG-12, basically a, I don't know, it's, something said like a rock'em sock'em robot type thing. I, I thought of, um, <laughs> do you guys remember the old Ninja yeah. Turtles cartoon, how Krang was in that giant suit, the little brain guy? controlling it with levers i was like it's like that you know so uh, what'd you guys think of that whole you know introduction of this element to this to the show for grogu's mobility <laughs> he can somewhat talk now too <laughs> yeah I, I kept wondering whether you give him more than just a yes and a no button but, or maybe that's all he does. i don't know <laughs> wasn't that like didn't didn't pike have a you know captain or uh, Pike had a chair, wasn't it? That had like yes or no buttons yeah, yeah. on it. Right. It's like we're getting a little crossover here with Star Trek again. <laughs> I mean, they, they did so much to build up IG-11 as a character and and really make him sympathetic. And uh, I should say it. It's a robot. Um, make it sympathetic and, and uh, you know, give you a deep empathy and attachment and then to literally gut IG-11 <laughs> yeah. like that and take away all its agency and all its personality and make it, as as Karga said, think of it more as a vehicle. And and it and it like takes me back to Solo when when and and now I'm blanking on the uh, droid's name L3. in Solo. Yeah, L three, and and just let's we'll we'll just plug it into the the Falcon and and turn a person into a vehicle and and that just like that just really like all my all my moral instincts are just <laughs> raging against that. It's 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 like this is not right. I don't care how cute it is. It's not right. I just wondered if it's as permanent as it. I don't know. 
How about you, Father? My next prediction is somewhere along the way, they, they, they'll find that memory module and plug it back in. Yeah. The one that they couldn't find at the start of this season. I think, I, yeah, I was wondering about what you guys thought about that. Do you think that this is a, you know, a be-all, end-all kind of thing, or is this just a temporary thing? I don't know. I'd love to see it stay, especially with, like, how small Grogu is and that sort of being a way for him to train and then use that as his own Mandalorian weapon hmm. would be really cool. And then if he gets the Darksaber, he could hold it through the robot. <laughs> well, and of course, we, we had that scene, that, that culminating moment where there's a lot of great conversations here between these different you know characters. And I don't want to shortchange them. I don't know if there's any you guys want to highlight in particular, but, you know, there's a we would probably spend you know, at least a half hour just on some of those conversations. But we, you know, we have this, this, this recon operation. They, they go down, we have representation from both tribes. We get this participation. You get a couple of good, uh, I, I'm always impressed throughout the show with how well a lot of these actors can pull off communicating emotion or communicating kind of where they're at with no facial features because they're behind these helmets. But just even the way they had pause a couple times, kind of look in this this long kind of stare that that sort of I, I thought showed some sense of, of thought, right, or respect, like he's hearing them out kind of thing. When Axe Woves, for example, you know, says like I was here when this happened, you know, and her pause later says to to um Costco Reeves, you know, you know, like you lived here and she's like, we all did. You know, like and you see him thinking about this, he's Mandalorian, but like these guys lived here and this is intense and I respect them even though they're taking their helmets off. So, you know, you get some of that, but um, anything in particular from that to when they're really meeting up with this, this derelict pirate ship Mandalorian crew that's been there this whole time. And, and that journey to the forge that caught your guy's eye, you wanted to go over it all or. I, I step back just a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. Grogu with his outfit just in Messing with the fruit thing in the market and just yeah, yeah. You know, didn't discover what it's like to be dad of a three year old. I think. Oh, absolutely. That that was the vibe I was getting the whole way through. It. <laughs> oh my gosh! Not deep, that but was... fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're going for the deeper meanings here, Father. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Not the fun yeah. meanings. No, well, you know it's funny because it actually. I, I can't believe I didn't think of this until you said that, Father. But it, it, when my uh, my youngest daughter, when she was like, I don't know, about a year and a half, like she's always she's she's just a she's a trickster. You know, she's just very like by nature. She's mm. just always into something. And her sister's not really like that. You know, so it's totally like, what are we doing? Like, I don't know what to do with this kid. So we were walking through this farmer's market and we have all this stuff we're trying to get and you know, we get to pay for it. And then we, we, we look at her for the first time in like 30 seconds, like we're carrying her. But then we look at her and she's just chowing down on a tomato and I'm like where did you get that and I'm like back and there's a, t a tomato stand like six feet behind us and she's just like eh, like points at it I'm like okay sorry and like the girls at the register are laughing and we're paying them and everything so yeah I can't believe I didn't like you know I don't know if it was Favreau himself or Filoni like someone involved in writing or talking about that episode has been through that situation before <laughs> Oh, but did, was there anything, you know, this, this, uh, I, I jokingly in my notes here, folks, I, I, I was calling them the, the black pearl mandos <laughs> on, you know, I said it was reminiscent to me of the, uh, the pirate ship, you know, in, um, Jack Sparrow's pirate ship down in Davy Jones's locker. And, uh, I guess that that's the beginning of what's that? I was getting road warrior. I was getting road warrior vibes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
So I, any thoughts on, on this sequence, like Bo's conversation with them, the backstory and how she lost the Darksaber, which we didn't know. I mean, there's so much there we could unpack. I thought it was interesting how quickly those pirates, like the, the pirate Mandalorians, um, quickly like re-swore their allegiance to Bo. Yeah. And it's almost like they didn't know that she tried selling them out, basically. And sort of like what happened, I guess, in that time. I mean, I didn't get the sense that she she certainly wasn't trying to sell them out. It it kind oh, of no. it was she was betrayed herself. Um, but she, I mean, this is one of the things I am loving this season about Bo Katan. I mean, we this is almost like season one of Bo Katan, right? Um, <laughs> you know, and I. I just love the depth and the the nuance of her character and like all the shades of guilt and shame that she feels. And she's like every episode, she takes a step to face her past and face the consequences of her actions and 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 step into that and like not make excuses. Just, you know, this is what I did. You know, I thought it was for the best. I was wrong. Hmm. And and she just she, yeah, she, go owns ahead, it. She, she owns it. And she's taking the risk that all of them will say, well, you know, you let us down. We're done with you. But she doesn't want to play the fake game. She says, this is me. This is who you're getting. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, I was just trying to look it up. Look, I think I found it here. I really thought his Din's comment to her was really interesting. And, and so he says, um. She's stressed out. She's worried. She says, I don't know if I can keep everyone together. There's too much animosity. And this blade is all I have to unify our people. And then he says, I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people, nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor and loyalty and character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Crees. And he says something like, your song has not been written, you know, and I'll serve you until it is. And it's just like now that whole I just I love that kind of thing. I lo- like to me, it's very there's a lot of Tolkien in this to me. Like it just, you know, I not to the same level, quite frankly, because I'm a Tolkien guy through and through. But I, I was telling my wife there were a lot of things like she had mentioned before, like the all the the stuff underground and the forge, like it's very Moria like, right? The minds of Moria, even in this episode, this sort of a sea monster coming up out from underneath right outside the gate to the forge reminds me of like when they go into Moria and there's that octopus thing. I forget what it's called, you know? So there's, it seems like there's a lot of connections like that, but, but this, 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 um, this character, this, um, the importance of character, the importance of honor, uh, I just feel like it's stuff you don't see in a lot of TV <laughs> these days, you know, like someone who actually is is living that and 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 it's having an effect on Bo-Katan, who was this skeptic, you know, or had become so jaded. And we've seen like you said, Robert, that's I just was just what I wanted to add to what you were saying is just to really see that the depth of that of how she's being sort of like reverted almost, you know, and rediscovering her own culture and and all the texture of that so yeah that's pretty awesome yeah i mean she's totally going to be killed at the end of the series though you I think mean, so like, oh, like yeah i think at next episode bo katan dies that's oh, my, my prediction because see how much money they make off her off after this season oh man 
That would be, I'll tell you, those for those who said there's no stakes, because and I thought, you know, for some people I was listening to and reading, I, I agree that like a lot of this season at first, like some of the fights and stuff like, like things basically worked out like it wasn't super difficult. But with with Paz, which we'll get to here in a little bit, you know, like they are they brought the stakes in, <laughs> in, a, in a pretty powerful way. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. I don't know. Father Josh, what do you guys think about that? Do you think that that might be on the table? It hadn't occurred to me. <laughs> Processing. It's impossible. <laughs> right. I just, I, I, I don't, I don't see the arc going that direction, but yeah. if they want to pull a fast one, they sure could. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I have my own predictions for the next episode. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. Or we'll get there. <laughs> I don't eventually. want to get too much of you. <laughs> yeah. So let me, now that they go into the, the forge here, you know, I, I wanted to spend a little time here, you know, our sort of second half that we're doing here, the show with this. I, I don't know. I, I want to see what you guys thought about this setup. And then, then we'll get into all the details of this big buildup for this final segment. But I don't know if I'm just, if I was slow on this or what, like I really avoided spoilers and everything, but I, I did not the way they did it. I did not make the connection or I didn't predict it I'll put it that way of where Moff Gideon was this whole time and I was just really I really liked it I was blown away and like even though we saw those troopers with clearly Mandalorian garb we know that's his thing though like he's obsessed with Mandalore and all that so I just kind of assumed he's off somewhere it just never crossed my mind and I thought that was a big twist for me I don't know how about you guys what'd you think I thought that was like a very interesting way to introduce him into the episode of him walking in and out of those laser gates that you see from like the Phantom Menace and seeing the uh, Mandalorian stormtroopers is what I think that they are because they looked a lot like the ones from Rebels just sort of in live action which made me feel like okay so now he has like Mandalorians who are actually following him and so like he does have some sort of claim to Mandalorian like rule of some sort um, but I had no idea that it was on Mandalore. I thought yeah. he was on some like off off world trying to like piece together what he could and then like doing something. But yeah, I had no idea. I, I did. My Admiral Akbar side was screaming at me when the first wave went away and they started running along, not paying attention. Like, guys, haven't you ever heard of fake retreats to draw you into the ambush before? But it's a trap. I guess they didn't want to overuse it. But I was not expecting, I was, I was not expecting, you can't overuse that line, come on. I was, but I was not expecting that to be Moff Gideon's base and have all the equipment there and all that stuff. Although as soon as they rounded the corner, like with with you, Father, I was like, oh, this is an ambush um, they're being led into. But as soon as they rounded the corner into that clearly constructed yeah, tunnel that imperial I was looking. like this is not mandalorian architecture this looks imperial in its architecture and and i don't think i like consciously thought oh this is gideon's base but it it made it clear oh the empire you know this is not the first time the empire has has been here and so yeah coming out on on the whole hangar bay there and well and it and it, then it made sense i didn't think about it till probably after the episode because so much is happening here at this point but totally makes sense why they were able to launch that enormous you know um sortie against bo mm -hmm. palace so quickly you know and that it was not just because you know they had, Ooh, they had yeah. this 
this activity, you know, like on Mandalore, like, hey, wait, there's people showing up on Mandalore now and they see her ship there, like they're clearly scouting it. And it's like, oh, yeah, let's just you know, send the bombers, send everybody because I, I haven't seen that episode in a while. That was the one a lot of people didn't like. right? But, or, well, people were critical of because so much of it was on Coruscant. And like, it's like I always say, too, there's episodes I like There's episodes. I'm like, I didn't like that one as much. But, you know, there is something to be said for like being patient, <laughs> like to see how it, you know, connects, because that was, of course, a big payoff there that, that this was something we got this taste way back in episode whatever three, I think it was, you know, that wait, where, where is this, you know, group of fighters coming from? Um, well, like a system and a half away because <laughs> they're on mm-hmm. Mandalore, <laughs> you like know, geez, two or three planets over. Right. Yeah. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'd have to go back and look at like some of my nerd books and stuff. But I, I, I don't remember if like tie interceptors or bombers have hyperspace capability. I think interceptors do. Name, okay, Theron was developing one that could do hyperspace, but okay. that was in Rebels. For, for the most part, they couldn't. Okay. Okay. But they did. You know, then they mentioned, of course, at the beginning of this in the Shadow Council when they're talking about his requisition order. Uh, which, to be fair, at least he got what he was asking for. Uh, Captain Carson, uh, forget his name. He didn't. <laughs> he just got the, you know, the dismissal from Tim Meadows earlier when he went to <laughs> to Coruscant. He's like, uh, I'm sorry. I wish we could do more. You know. So these Imperials, they 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 get the job done, I guess. But uh, but yeah, he specifically mentioned the interceptor program or you know your interceptor squadron, I guess. And that's when I was like, wait a minute, like. Yeah, it was interceptors specifically that were going after her. So, but uh, I, I guess one question I had for you guys that somebody else mentioned, I thought was worth bringing up is you know when, of course they have the ambush, they trapped in outside, and everybody else is back behind that blast door, and then Gideon lands and his all flare and everything in his full Mandalorian, you know, or his Beskar dark trooper outfit, and and some people brought up the fact that like. He's very clear that you know, he's the new or like the, the ultimate dark trooper because it has him inside it, which, you know, is a very specifically selfish comment about himself. But somebody was pointing out, you know, Dr. Pershing's whole thing in season two about when he's telling them about those dark troopers and how, you know, it's the thing that makes them best top of the line, you know, is, is specifically that there isn't anyone in it. <laughs> Do you remember that like he gives that speech about how like, you know, this this is the perfect machine kind of thing. Like it's it's it doesn't need a person in it. So I don't know if that was a if I was reading too much into that or if it's if Gideon's comment is just about himself more than anything. <laughs> that seemed like Yeah, I think that's just his pride speaking there of wanting to be sort of like the best person out there. I mean, you were talking about envy earlier, and I, I, I was noticing the detailing, like the undersuit uh, that he's wearing is very reminiscent of Vader's um, sort of ribbed undersuit. And, and I, I was thinking like they are they are pulling on all of the classic Star Wars villains in in. You know, he's got the the horns and the red and black, which remind you of Maul and, you know, the chest plate, which and the the kind of undersuit that remind you of Vader. 
And of course, you know, all of the Mandalorian uh, things that remind you of Boba Fett, who is still a villain. I don't care what the book of Boba <laughs> Fett says. He's still a villain. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, they're they're kind of really building him into this ultimate um, kind of, yeah, the ultimate Star Wars baddie. Yeah. I, I thought when I when he first came into frame in the bottom half, I really thought that was supposed to be a Vader revisit of some sort because it just had so many little mm. Vader vibes to it. Mm. Even out of the reddish visor, remember like classically like the original Vader mask, it was more of a dark red lens than like a black lens and um and his voice, right? It's his voice, but you know, and you know, I mean, gosh, I, I saw interviews you guys probably did too, where when they were in first you know, sort of talks with Giancarlo Esposito for the role. And he was really interested, but he just said to, he, he was bragging about how he said to John Favreau, he's like, I need a cape. You know, he was the <laughs> one that was like, I have to have a cape. Like he's, and you can just tell like he loves, like he just, he's chewing up that scenery, you know, like he loves oh, yeah. that role. Like he is so in that. And, and I think that brings something to the character too, or this character that he's incarnating, right. Is, is someone who, like he says, that was interesting, right. He said, all these, you know, cultures have their, you know, their special, like, he's just so dismissive, you know, it's like, you were great once, but your time has come. Like, he's so, you know, there's no respect for human life. There's no respect for culture. It's just a very utilitarian, like, what works, what doesn't. And he's talking specifically about, like, I want to take what the cloners did. I want to take the, what the Jedi did. I want to, it, it's just so completely inorganic, right? Like it's it's Frankenstein type, right? Like I'm gonna like I'm gonna get this and this and then put the suit together and one of the yeah <laughs> one of the persistent things I noticed and it came up again in this is the Empire and its offshoots are always selling peace and order. It's there's we're bringing peace, bringing order, but it's a very rigid "you do it our way or you're gone" type of order, uh, destroying individuality. Despite what was said in the Shadow Council at the beginning, you know, the and, and I don't remember her name, but she said, you know, there are there are, uh, people loyal to the Empire on every planet who are getting tired of this new Republic and its rules and regulations. Yeah, I'm like, says you? Like, what? Says <laughs> like, the Imperial Shadow Council? Like, says the, you know, the, the only people who have had, you know, constantly a planet destroying technology. Well, and, like, and are not lacking in rules and regulations either, as as we definitely see from like Andor, right? Right. Yeah. I always get the feeling that the, the the people who are running the galaxy in Andor are the same people who are running for the New Republic. Just swap the bosses out, same people doing the grunt work. Well, I wonder that in some cases, if you also had some people like, you know, I know not to bring up a sore subject for some people, but, you know, Jack Black's character right back in episode, uh, what was it? 22, uh, you know, this, this, and we've seen this, it, it's an intriguing idea, I think of just this, this range, whether people think it's being done well or not, but this range of like, what do you do with these guys? Like is every, no, not everybody's Tarkin, <laughs> like not everybody's Vader. Mm -hmm. Like is this, this guy like, okay. And you know, that of course brings up all the discussion about, uh, you know, the wake of world war two and, operation was a paperclip and stuff and just all this kind of stuff like what do you like was this guy a nazi or was he a nazi like it's you know i i, I mean like because and to 
just to bring it home for us Catholics too. Like, you know, we all know how much in the, in the popular media for a while, like they were really trying to drive home that thing of like, you know, Benedict the 16th of happy memory. Like, Oh, he was Hitler youth. And I'm like, so was like every kid in Germany practically like, mm-hmm. like you were forced into this or, or you were, you know, you were in their version of boy scouts or something. And all of a sudden you come in one day and no, it's Hitler youth now. Like, okay. You know, and it doesn't matter that his dad was such an outspoken anti-Nazi, you know, police officer and stuff. And they had to move around and everything like this heroic courage. So I, I think that's an interesting thing to explore in Star Wars with this idea of like, not everybody who was an Imperial was, you know, necessarily demonic, you know, so that's maybe some, some interesting area to explore as well, you know, so kind of went off off script there but that's okay <laughs> see what you guys think about it well and 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 exploring the the you know the problematic aspects of the jedi and the you know the old republic and the new republic and and frankly you know the mandalorian the 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 infighting among the mandalorians and i i think one of my disappointments about this episode was we got a really great moment of that conflict in the game where it's like ah these primitives don't know how to play this game and it suddenly turns into a death match and 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 i'm like oh yeah we're going to we're really going to see how these this conflict can get resolved but it doesn't really get resolved. Grogu steps in and no, 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 no. And, and, and it's like, you know, I can see that pausing the fight and getting people to take a step back, but there was no actual resolution to that. Um, except that, you know, consistently from that point on, you see, um, pause Vizsla and Axe Woves like supporting each other. Like, you know, it's kind of game recognizes game and, and they, they, you know, suddenly they, they fight and then they're best friends. Well, but then also, and it's interesting though, that's a good point because this starts to get into some questions that we were going to talk about here with this, like maybe some speculation too, but you know, like Axe, it's interesting, like, cause you know, you see Paz gives his life here at the end, right? Is, is this, they take Din off to the, the, the conference room or whatever he called it, not conference room. What do you call it? The debriefing room? That's yes. Yes. Far more interesting, I guess. Take him to the conference room. Like, okay. Like that's. <laughs> take him to my side office. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, you know, the debriefing room. But, um, so that's, of course, we're heading there. Which, by the way. Well, Mark, mark my words, that helmet's coming off because I, I just read this, the practical side of this. Apparently, this was funny. This makes sense. Apparently, to be able to, in negotiations from what I read, to be able to pay, to credit and to pay Pedro Pascal as more than just a voice actor, mm-hmm. he needs to have his face on screen <laughs> for like at least some time and i was like ah well that's fair enough but this you know this of course would be the only season so far we're in the seventh or eighth episode of the season he doesn't take his helmet off or someone does whatever so i'm fully expecting that that's a prediction um but you know you you have this they take him off um it's it's curtains you know for the rest of the mandalorians but then we we have Bo making the escape with the dark saber and pause stays behind of course but axe is not there Right. So he because he left to go get reinforcements. I don't know if I don't trust him or whatever, but that's what you were saying, Robert. The reason I bring that aspect of it up is you don't really get the payoff even of of him 
like directly witnessing the sacrifice, if that makes sense, of the guy he was fighting. So that that could be a gap, you know, that might have been something to pay. Unless, of course, Axe is dirty and he's actually a spy himself, which I don't know. I mean, he's a mercenary, so there's that. But yeah, I do you, I don't know. Do you guys have any? Um, well, let me let me just back up. I'm sorry. Why don't we just talk about the uh, your thoughts on the the Praetorian Guard and just sort of finish that loop off here, and then we can get to the spies <laughs> thing. But what I mean, they they're mentioned, of course, as part of Gideon's request at the beginning. There were spoilers about this earlier this year or rumors about it, you know, in terms of costume design. What what do you guys think of their presence here? Or did it affect you? Was it not that big of a deal? Was it did it seem like, well, you know, okay, sequel trilogy it. connection, <laughs> you know, there's different reactions. You loved it, Josh. What would you love the most? Yeah. It was just seeing them sort of walk in and then just mop the floor against them. They're intense. And... <laughs> and well yeah because they're supposed to be like the best of the best there and like they've been trained to be like the top people because they come like straight basically from like the emperor's guards equivalent and sort of seeing them get more action than just standing there looking cool is really really nice to see um it was really sad to see paz die but i mean it's bound to happen. Do you do any of you guys know? Because I am curious when you said about that, the Emperor's Guard, for some reason, I was thinking, you know, because the aesthetic is is very much in line with what we see then in for, in um, uh, Last Jedi. Um, but I'm wondering that timeline wise, like I, we have, I have no idea like who these guys are or anything like that, like in, in like behind the mask. But like, you know, you see famously those those red Praetorian guards with Palpatine and Return of the Jedi. They don't really do anything, you know. But would these be like from that original group? Maybe. I mean, this is only five years or so after Return of the Jedi. So I, I don't know if you guys had heard anything about that or have any ideas or thoughts about. I don't know the lineage. I, mean, I, I don't know. have no idea. They haven't revealed anything. I mean, much, my sort but... of guess is they're still in the red outfits, so it's like they're supposed to be the equivalent just for like the First Order. But... Right. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen anything about like how they transition there. Except we're not at the first order yet. Right. We're still at the remnant of the empire. And I, I, yeah, I think I was a little disappointed that the costumes were so similar to maybe even identical with the ones from, uh, the last Jedi, um, which are cool costumes. Don't get me wrong, but I, I like it did like raise timeline questions for me. And, and so I was, I was wondering, I, I, I guess I wanted something a little closer to what we saw in return of the Jedi. Oh God. But yeah. Like no real, you know, transition to the new ones, flowier capes or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cause I haven't well, seen that in a while. One I'm thing I also <laughs> sort of saw was them somehow relating to the Knights of Ren and having some sort of hmm. backfill in there. But I don't know. That was, a quick glimpse while I was scrolling through Instagram one day. Wikipedia doesn't have much on the batch that showed up in this episode, so I don't think they've established what, if any, the connection is. Okay. I'm trying to find... Yeah, because they show that, you know, if you, like, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen Return of the Jedi in a long time, but yeah, they were they were more uniform, right? And they had the cloak, like, the whole way down and the helmet, you know, but... And also, these guys' helmets did have a little Mandalorian flair to them, though, too, I thought. Like, the the way the visor was and stuff, but... Could be, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll get back up. 
A little bit. I mean, I I see that still more as like an in-between from... They look like advanced stormtroopers, honestly. It might be, yeah, actually, because they had more, yeah, in Last Jedi they had more, um, like, almost samurai-like, like the tapering down, or the tiers of, like, the arm armor. And, like, they, they had a couple different helmet designs, it looks like. I just, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. I was joking around with some of the guys in the, uh, the panel a while back that for whatever reason I decided to <laughs> decided to watch like the first thing I the, it was a, a, a bridge event the last thing I did in 2022 and the first thing I did in 2023 was watch The Last Jedi I don't really know why I just thought it would be an interesting <laughs> an interesting experience to sort of uh, you know because I, I, I have very mixed opinions about that movie but but you know to those who hate it i thought it'd be kind of funny to share that story with them be like well you know hey hey the years yeah, it's all up from here no past is dead <laughs> kill it <laughs> yeah but uh no i, I yeah so that we'll have to see more if they reveal any more about that or if those praetorian guards i mean i would be surprised if we don't see them again next week right like would that be kind of a It'd be a waste of them if they a didn't come back. waste of the whole thing. Like, what's the point of just that, you know? I don't know. If one of them takes out Bo, I'm going to be very upset. I, I think uh, Grogu's going to... He's separated from Din, not by his own uh, wanting, and he's got a powerful droid output to work with. It could be interesting to see what happens if he gets mad. Uh, yeah, he's like, you know, he doesn't get as big as Hulk, but uh, at least yeah. as formidable. <laughs> and he's green, so... <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many of IG-11's uh, weapons are still active on IG-12. I that too. Yeah. Gosh, I hadn't even thought of that for some reason. <laughs> That's a good... Oh, wow. I mean... You just start pressing buttons on a board. Yeah. <laughs> Bounty hunter nanny <laughs> tank. Yeah. yeah. Or he takes the wires <laughs> like he was mix- mixing up the wires in that episode of season two. You know, like plugging yeah. them in the wrong places. Like the... <laughs> Well, I thought let's maybe let's just jump up here as we're getting close to the end. Just just getting back to that title, right? Like we have this this intense episode. It's it's getting crazy reviews online. Yeah, I think compared to most of the other episodes in the season, like a lot of people really enjoyed this one and are excited for next week. Um, I did hear, you know, n- nothing that gave anything away. But um, is it Brendan Wayne? You know, John Wayne's grandson, who's one of the stunt doubles that that's in the suit. You know, for Din Jaren. Um, was being interviewed and he he was just like being a coy and said something about like you know you're gonna regret asking for another episode after that last one like wait till you see episode you know eight or this season i'm like oh man don't do that to me so there's <laughs> some big stuff coming i guess but but again you know the title of this episode is the spies plural and it starts off with you know elia kane i think i said it differently at the beginning elia elia Kane, uh, TK, you know, she gave her TK number. I should have memorized that one, you know, but, you know, she's clearly a spy. We got that earlier. That was pretty obvious. I think, Father, you were pointing that out earlier, but it doesn't say the spy. It's the spies, which when I got to the end of the episode, I did think about that for the first time since it showed up at the beginning. And then I'm like, that feels like a weird title. You know, I don't really know why they went with that. And so I, I'm, I'm, curious what you guys think you know it's clearly a plural title do you think that they will reveal another side to this that there's another spy maybe among the mandalorians maybe there's a spy on moff gideon's team reporting back to the republic that would be cool 
Could it be Hux? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. And then he gets blasted. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I don't think I've we're that people... lucky. <laughs> I've seen people accusing the armor of being a spy and I don't, I can see why they would make that argument, but I don't think I buy it. And I've also seen people talking about, well, the whole expedition is going to to scout out or to spy out uh, Mandalore. Hmm. And so the spies might be the whole expedition. And on kind of the flip side of that coin, the spies could be Gideon's secret base there. Um, you know, the, that that uh, covert um, operation that he's got going on there. So I think, uh, you know, people were saying, oh, well, there's only one spy. We need to find another spy. I'm almost thinking there are too many spies. That's, a, that's <laughs> an interesting thought. Yeah. Uh, so we were sort of talking about it a little bit ago, but having the Mandalorians also sort of get along too well with each other, um, not really having that resolution made it also seem like there's a lot of intermercenary work between them and possibly Moth Gideon of working together. And I, I sort of am seeing sort of how the armor could be a spy as well, but not entirely. It's more so just because of her similarities in the helmet compared to uh, Gideon's. But then again, that's just because of Maul, and Maul was um, the leader of the people on Concord Dawn and on the moon, and that they sort of just got the spikes on their helmets. But and I, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like it would be you know I I I love. Maul, I actually I really love what they did with his character, you know, in the, the series and everything. But just from a movie standpoint and a, a TV show standpoint, you know, I, there, we saw that that reaction, I think, from a lot of folks at the end of Solo when he shows up there that were just like, who is that? Like, what? OK, like and then you're like, oh, that's Maul. And like Maul, like the guy that got cut in half in 1999, you know, like, because, like, and it really is a misstep, I thought, because if you don't know the stuff that's happened in the animated series, it makes no sense at all to see him on screen. And so I, I, I got to say, I think for any reference whatsoever to him to be made in episode eight of this or some sort of like, oh, it's a mall thing. I just think that would really probably be a misstep and a distraction, especially because he's dead at this point, <laughs> you know, in this, in the timeline. Yeah, and it definitely, yeah, completely, like indisputably dead. Right, like Monty Python. I'm not quite dead. Like, no, <laughs> ceased to be. Um, <laughs> but then Luke says, "No one's ever really gone." Um, but no, I, the only thing I would just mention about the armor, I want to see see what you guys think about this because for me, the one thing I keep going back to, I haven't heard anyone bring this up yet. Um, that to me is kind of like a. It can't be her like I, I think she's legit is because not just that we saw her killing those stormtroopers in the covert right in season at the end of season one. But that it's just her and them like there's no one else and none of the other characters saw that we just saw it. So like if there's any kind of like she's putting on airs or she's kind of you know she's playing this game. Where you could say, well, maybe she was faking it so they would see and trust her. Well, that no, it's like it was just us and her. Like she was there alone. Like we basically get the little window into her world when no one else is looking and we see her do that. You know, so I, I don't know. To me, that would be a big 
sort of head scratcher, at least, if all of a sudden it's like, well, no, she's been with Gideon the whole time. Like, ah. Uh, I mean, I, I think there's been some speculation for a while that the armor what is actually Rook cast, who was part of the Death Watch um, that became part of Maul's, uh, what did he call it, Shadow Collective or something like that. And there's that shadow word again. Um, and And so... And and I think that speculation was based simply on yeah. the the horns on the the helmet. Um and so that would, you know, seeing okay, horns on Gideon's helmet and, and some sort of mall-ish aesthetic references, well maybe maybe she's compromised in some way. But that's like a speculation based on a speculation based on a speculation. And, and I'm not sure I buy it. And like you, her behavior has been so consistent. I, you know, I, I think she's got a lot of complexity to her and, and might end up being a bad guy in some respect, an antagonist in some way. But I don't think she's the traitor or, or, or a spy in that sense. Well, there's a lot of a lot of questions. I don't know. Is there and the other possibility I just threw out there? The last thing I had down was just like, you know, could it be one of those black pearl mandos as I dubbed them, which I, you know, I mean, to me, if, if you want to, it's sort of low hanging fruit, the idea that, well, maybe someone there. But I don't know. Those guys don't seem to like what's their. What do they owe the empire, you know, unless they're completely fake and they're plants, you know. And everything they've said is a lie. I mean, they are the most recent, like we just got them dropped on us. So that would be suspicious, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but no, yeah, Rob, you bring up a good point, too, about like it might just be overthinking it. Like it's spies everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, well, it's just, I guess, you know, maybe just as far as where we go from here, any final thoughts? Because I know some of you guys, I know, Josh, you had mentioned about some speculation you have, you know, do you guys want to share any, you know, things you want to see, things you don't want to see, you know, predictions for next week for what it's worth. <laughs> I don't know if any of you were on the show next week. I'm, I won't be or anything. So I, you know, what do you guys think? I think the mythosaur is coming out and we'll get to see that. Um, if they're on Mandalore, Bo's probably going to go try and tame it and take it up there. Get um, it in the fight somehow. <laughs> somehow. And then yeah. I, w- I want to see Baby Yoda and Grogu eventually just hop on its back, kind of like how he did with the Rancor. <laughs> That's people speculated that too, that, you know, who's who's the one that, uh, you know, we've seen tame a giant animal. I, I can see it all leading up to where Grogu ends up the uh, ruler of Mandalore. Sure. I think that could work out that way. Not, not in the next That's episode. That's the one I, I called early in the season. Is that right? Yeah. I forgot it from you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd love to see that. I mean... Grogu riding the man... Uh, riding the, the mythosaur, wielding the Darksaber. <laughs> on an IG-12. In <laughs> IG-12's chest. Like has, Hasbro's just sitting there with dollar signs, just like, you know, like... Take my money! Take my money! Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, what else can we do, guys? I don't know. Like, uh, you know, maybe the Millennium Falcon's in there, too. So we're like, okay, you guys got to stop. Like, no. we take an alien, put him in a robot, and then put him on a dinosaur. Right. 
it's like every oh my gosh it's just that's so it's gonna happen what can possibly go right (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i the only prediction i would say i have is just that i don't think we're gonna get resolution per se because and the thing is and and they're very clearly timing this and I was I was like this stuff. I kind of nerd out on like the precision of like the 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 PR side of it. You know that was part of I I, I worked in that world and a little bit. You know in, in in the in the army actually. And it's just funny because it's like if you remember back to I have to go double check the dates specifically because I don't remember the order. But I remember that the week that the episode came out from season one, where Grogu force heals Grief Karga's arm. I think was just a few days after a rise of Skywalker came out and they introduced the force healing. I know it was the same week. I'm pretty sure rise of Skywalker introduced it first. And then you saw it in Mandalorian and you're like, Oh, it's a thing. Okay. Um, and say what you will about that force power. But I, I thought the timing here was neat that the very week with celebration, right. That they put that Ahsoka trailer out that they show you thrown on screen for the first time. And then you kick this episode off with, oh, we have to, you know, the secrecy, Thrawn's return is everything. You might as well have Pelion going, you gotta see the Ahsoka show. You know, like, it's basically, yeah, it yeah. was like a, it was like a, a, a secondary trailer, right, for the Ahsoka show. So I, I fully expect us to, to get a lot of stuff that's set up now, but that we get some, you know, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Not closure, but we actually get the payoff before having to wait for another Mandalorian season. Do you say Ahsoka's going to be Mandalorian 3.5? Basically, I think they're all, because now they've announced too that this was all, this is leading to this film too eventually down the road where they play tie all these mm-hmm. things together. Never so, happened. No? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Filoni's behind it, so. That's yeah. true. I uh, I do have one last question for you guys. I didn't put on the notes or anything here, but uh, kind of related to this. Do you have any specific predictions about the post credits scene? Because that's kind of an expected thing these days. You think they'll... I feel like they wouldn't give you Thrawn in I the post credits. Like they, they could. I, I don't know. I just... I don't know. I kind of feel like they've built him up for that show, but... Well, maybe. I'd love to see some sort of interaction between Gideon and Thrawn there as to what he needs to do to come back to him. Hmm. And sort of this idea, because Gideon right now seems to want to control Mandalore and control something. And Thrawn is called this heir to the Empire, and seeing them interact with each other would be interesting in a... What about like a hologram or something? Like it's, or it's just like he, you know, an unexpected hologram, and you just hear that iconic voice, and that's just... Oh man, something like that would be cool. I, I, the only prediction I can possibly make is somehow Cassie Nandor returned. <laughs> <laughs> or even Exegol of them getting Palpatine to come back. <laughs> I, I would say something about Jar Jar, but now that I'm the best actually been in the show, I don't think well, we should go that way. <laughs> I think, oh man, that would be, I would love that post credit scene. You know, maybe they get away in the armors, making the next little piece of armor for, for Grogu, and he gets his little flashback and. <laughs> like the Jar Jar's there. Yes, the guy's here. <laughs> oh, no. Now talk about whatever your opinion of Jar Jar is. I would take the wind out of the sails a little bit of the, <laughs> the, the season three finale. <laughs> that new bit of armor that Grogu got is probably going to play a, a role in the new season or in the next episode, though. I mean, that, yeah. that would be a 
something to pay off. It's mm, a good point. Yeah, because it's so specific. Like, you know, they could make it anything. It would be fun, you know. But to specifically give that to him and that you don't see it, right? It's not something he's wearing on the outside or something that's in there. But if he's already wearing the chainmail stuff, like, it's got to be something pretty significant. I don't know. I think the mythosaur is going to try to bite him. <laughs> I, I know uh, it could be a, it could be a, you know, Frodo in the Mines of Moria situation where, the, you know, he gets uh, stabbed and they or or shot or something and they think he's dead. And oh, my gosh. That wouldn't, I mean, somehow grow more returned. Return. Oh, sorry. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have anything else for the, the good of the order? Or are we, we good for now? <laughs> Just excited for Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully no more tears. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Or or only a thousand of just, them. Yeah, just just a thousand. <laughs> just a thousand. Well, folks, that's it from us for tonight. Listeners, uh, please let us know what you thought of this episode of The Mandalorian. And um, if you, you know, anytime you want, you can uh, send us some feedback over there at Star Wars at sqpn.com, or you can visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can go ahead and check out uh, StarQuest on Facebook, on Twitter, just Find us on there. Um, also, uh, I would recommend this, too, if you want to go back and listen to previous episodes, because this is really we're developing our own canon here uh, <laughs> in-house of some fun conversations. So that's sqpn.com slash Star Wars. You can find old episodes of the show, previous episodes. We also want to take a moment to uh, thank our sponsors here, our patrons for Secrets of Star Wars, uh, including Andrea J., Johannes B., Christopher L., Jarrett B., and Guy C., their generations generate generations. I'm having trouble reading folks. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all of the shows here at StarQuest. So you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And I really hope you do that today. And while you're doing that. Make sure you check out our merch store as well at sqpn.com slash merch. You can get all kinds of stuff, phone cases, T-shirts, skateboards, magnets, uh, <laughs> tons of stuff on there. So uh, last but not least, please make sure, of course, that uh, you tell everyone you can about the show. Anyone you think will really appreciate it. The Secrets of Star Wars you can find on Apple Podcasts, Google Co- uh, Podcasts, Spotify, uh, also on YouTube. You know, Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel while you're over there as well. So we will be back next week to unpack the season finale chapter 24 yet unnamed or at least as far as we know of the Mandalorian season 3 so make sure you mark your calendars you're not going to want to miss that one so until next time Josh Beagley thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Wars always happy to join Robert King thank you so much as well oh thanks for a great conversation and Father Jeff Orton thank you so much as well glad to be here I'm Mike Creevy, and thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy, The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.